Hi everyone. Little bit of an experiment here. I want to see how um, an audio format works. Um, so what I thought I'd do is just give um, a brief, well, hopefully brief, but you never know with me, um, a brief kind of overview of some of the things that have concerned me, uh, particularly with respect to all of the COVID nonsense. I'm going to base it kind of on the uh, the marathon post that I recently put up on Substack. And I come back all the time, all the time, every single day to one overarching theme. Look at everything we've done. Right from the start of this, we've had lockdowns. We've had masks. We've had perspex screens thrown up in almost random places, one-way systems, social distancing, business closures, school closures. And now we've got people losing their jobs because they won't get uh, an experimental vaccine, if you even want to call it a vaccine, injected. And we've done all of these things and many, many more. We've done all of these things for a disease that is even at its most virulent. It was only about twice as bad as a severe flu. And that's if you work from the official government statistics, which, as we know, are kind of inflated. If you're going to record a death within 28 days of a positive test as a COVID death, you're definitely going to be over inflating the statistics. It's Kind of, I, I don't know why this was decided upon, um, this, this method of recording of, of death, but it's certainly given us a misleading impression of the actual severity of the pandemic. And I don't understand why that was considered to be necessary. So the whole point here is even with these inflated statistics, We've done so much. And now sort of cast your mind back. I know it's going back a couple of years and things do fade into the distance, at least for me. Um, what do we do when we have a very, very bad flu? Well, nothing really. Um, essentially, if you're, if you're ill, you, um, stay at home. Or if it's pretty bad, you'd look to get some treatment and somewhere between flu and double flu we dis there's a line which says oh my god it's so serious we need to stop the world i don't get it i really don't get it why why and this is what i i, I struggle with this this global perspective here and i don't mean global in in a world global i mean the the overall picture here just doesn't stack up we've done far too much for so little now i'm not trying to suggest covid is not serious of course it is you know if you if you get it bad it, it can be horrible and even fatal and and you know people have died 
There's no getting around that. I don't want to sugarcoat this. It's not some sort of hoax going on here. You know, people have actually died from contracting this virus. But you can't base a whole um, national response to single cases. You have to look at the overall statistics. And, and statistics have this horrible way of kind of hiding all of these desperately tragic personal uh, instances. My daughter, for example, uh, she was at university uh, with a guy, um, not one of her immediate friends, but certainly someone she knew and on a day-to-day basis. And uh, this this lad, 25 years old, died of COVID. Um, it's very, very sad. Well, what can we do about it? But we can't just use these kinds of tragic examples, however sad, to lock down an entire country. We can't be emotion-driven here. Um, and again, we need to... We need to put everything into a sort of perspective. And it's this, it, it's this perspective, this overall picture that has really disturbed me. Why so much panic? Why so much panic over something which at least at a statistical level is not really that much worse than flu? And why focus? Why focus so much? on just one thing. Um, If you you take a slice of the media, for example, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the the only thing people ever died of in the world was COVID. It literally became the only thing that mattered. Everything, everything was subsumed into fighting COVID. Meanwhile, People were dying of all sorts of other things and in greater numbers. But all of the compassion and the the feeling and the, oh, my God, this is a tragedy. All of that sentiment was reserved for COVID. Heart attack, stroke, cancer. Oh, well, it's not as important as a COVID death, is it? And And again, this... This narrow focus, this, this warped perspective that, that came about has been very damaging. So we've got all throughout this, this, this issue of a kind of buggered up perspective. I don't know what a health emergency is. I mean, how do we define it? How do, how does a government who has to run an entire company country, I nearly said company, but how does a government decide that there is an existing health emergency? What metrics are used? And and how do, they, how do you know when you're out of that emergency? Now, I don't know the answer to that question. And the government, at least the UK government, have certainly never really properly defined those things for us. So again, we're, we're like, we're, we're in something for which we have no suitable overall parameters 
no overall suitable perspective. The, the perspectives are all over the place. Um, I don't want to talk too much in this sort of introductory uh, presentation about what the science has been. Um, as you know, my position is that things like lockdowns, things like masks, social distancing, perspex screens, all the rest of it have been uh, pretty much ineffective. And the, again, the perspective here has been very lacking. We, we've done all of these things. Okay. Let's, let's just kind of take a step back and say, maybe, maybe they're going to work. Okay. Fair enough. Let's suppose that's the case. Then what we need to do is to figure out how well they have worked. How many lives have been saved by these measures? And we need those figures. We need that perspective. Because without a doubt... Things like lockdowns will have caused deaths. Things like turning the National Health Service in the UK into the National COVID Service, that would have cost lives. And even if, even if the um, measures that we've taken have saved, let's say, 10%, a factor of 10%, and I'm not even... I think that's too high. Um, but even if they've saved 10%, can we be sure that the measures that we've taken have not caused more death? So if you're going to argue that every life is important and that we're saving lives, you can't just ignore a whole basket of things that you've just caused, the whole basket of deaths that you've actually caused with your intervention. When you figure out whether lockdown uh, was the right thing to do. And certainly if we look at places like Texas and Florida, um, who initially went along with the restrictions and then decided against them, when the restrictions were lifted, we didn't see um, and haven't still haven't seen um, any kind of catastrophe as a result. Uh, their statistics do not appear to be particularly um Terrible in comparison to places with severe restrictions. We certainly didn't see a change, uh, a drastic change in severity when the restrictions were lifted. And so that indicates that um, you, you can't realistically have the perspective that lockdown has saved lots and lots and lots of lives while still having places which when they remove lockdown did not see uh, a terrible catastrophic outcome those two positions are are inconsistent and again perspective why why did governments choose or seemingly choose or at least not publish why did they not undertake cost benefit analyses i mean it, it, it's obvious, isn't it, that if you're going to lock down an economy, close businesses, um, restrict health services, 
close down schools, make kids try and learn online. If you're going to do all of these things, there are going to be negative consequences. And some of those consequences will lead to loss of life. I mean, we're not just talking about economic damage. We're talking about psychological damage. We're talking about uh, damage to people's livelihoods. And what happens when um, people are placed into greater poverty? They have worse health outcomes. We know that. We've known that for many, many years, that in general, the poorer you are, the worse your health outcomes are. So why? Why did governments not sit down and really think this through? Why were there no cost-benefit analyses? I can't understand this. First of all, I can't understand why it was considered necessary for all of these terrible restrictions to go on so long for a virus which we knew was not that different in terms of overall mortality to flu. Why did we not sit back and think, okay, it's serious, maybe at the level of emergency, if we'd ever bothered to even define what a medical emergency is, well, maybe we're in one, we don't know because we didn't define it, but okay, let's assume we're in one, then we need to sit back and think about what we're doing and whether what we're doing is actually in the long term going to be better or worse than doing nothing. And those kind of considerations never got done. And again, another huge question, another huge question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Another huge question here. Why did all of the pandemic preparedness plans get ditched? I mean, you spend a lot of money and effort and time thinking these things, right? You're a, you're a country. Obviously, there are going to be times when bad things happen, right? You need to be ready. You need to be as ready as you can be anyway. You, the last thing you need in the event of some major uh, event, like uh, some sort of horrible terrorist event, the last thing you need is all of the emergency services bumping into one another, all effectively um, sort of repeating everyone's work and getting in the way of one another and all the rest of it. You know, I mean, it's it's not rocket science here, is it? You really need a coordinated response um, and you really need an effective response. And that requires planning. And so governments plan for these things. And it's uh, it, I can't imagine it being a very nice thing to do, but it's something you've got to do. I was uh, for, for many years. Well, not many years, but for a few years, I was um, working in industry as a um, a kind of security bod um, advising on sort of IT security, particularly with regards to things like public key infrastructures and stuff like that. And one of the things you have to do is to try and uh, imagine the unimaginable. You have to try and figure out all of the ways in which things could go wrong and then sort of put plans in place or technologies in place in this case to mitigate against those things. And all the time you're sort of, 
you, you, you've got an eye on, okay, well, I can, I can put all these technologies in, which will do all sorts of wonderful things in terms of security. But if I do that, it's the, the system, the thing that's actually making me money is going to be almost impossible to run. The, the customers are going to have all sorts of trouble. They're going to have to spend 10 minutes authenticating themselves before they can even do something useful with our product. Um, and therefore, it's not going to be an attractive commercial proposition and we might lose money. That's just one consideration that, that might come up. So all the time, you've got to have an eye on the stuff that isn't going to go right and the un- unintended consequences. So when you do a, a a plan like this for an entire country, it's 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 going to be quite complex. You know, these these plans are not something that some civil servant just knocks up on a Friday afternoon with a cold cup of tea when he's bored. They're, they're detailed documents prepared by people who've got some understanding of the issues involved. And it's very curious that the uh, UK's own plan for pandemics actually considered a couple of scenarios. One was for flu, one was for a novel coronavirus. And this this scenario for the coronavirus they considered was um, 315,000 deaths, I think, in just five months. Well, that's way worse than what we've actually experienced. And yet these um, pandemic prepare, preparedness plans did not recommend quarantine. There was lockdown wasn't a term back then. And explicitly did not recommend quarantine and it did not recommend masking. Uh, and what's happened with COVID? Well, all of these plans, which were broadly similar the world over, they just got chucked in the trash can. I struggle, I struggle to make sense of this. I struggle very much to make sense of this. From the statistics, it's quite clear that yes, COVID is serious, whether it constituted an emergency is another matter. And you've just heard me talk about the problems in not having a decent metric for defining what an emergency is in terms of a an infectious disease outbreak. Um, the messaging should have been, the messaging should have been, look, guys, it's kind of serious. Some people are going to die, but most of you are going to be okay. So don't panic. Now, right in the early days, Right in the early days of this, I remember, I remember, um, our chief <clears throat> scientific advisors, um, saying things like this. You know, right early on, you will see them, uh, you, you can find the quotes and things. They're basically saying to people, yeah, it's, uh, it's not nice, but most of you are going to be okay. And as we learned more and more about this, that picture has stayed correct. So they did get some things correct. Not much, but they got, at least right at the start, they got some things correct. So I suppose we've got better give them some credit, eh? 
But what have we had? This this perspective again, this this sensible, what we might call a common sense perspective, just was shredded very, very quickly. And in the end, we had all sorts of um, propaganda. Their propaganda has been astonishing. I, I don't know how much money has been spent. I've seen figures of like half a billion um, in the UK spent on, on various messaging. It's a, it's a ridiculous number. And all of the messaging has been to keep fear levels high. Well, except for the positive messaging around the vaccine. So that's been an example of positive government messaging. So, for example, you'll see those horrible um, look them in the eyes and tell them you did all that you could sort of adverts. Um, you know, a sort of greying actor was portrayed with serious eyes, big sort of face peering at you. And you were meant to feel very guilty that you you hadn't um, worn your hazmat suit for 24 hours every day and somebody had died as a result of your carelessness, um, you, you horrible person. Um, the messaging around vaccines, however, has mostly been quite positive. Hey, look at how wonderful life is. If you get the vaccine, you can do all these sort of things and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've seen them all, even down to uh, people dressed as hypodermic needles on TV shows. Possibly one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen, and I wish I hadn't seen it. But the propaganda has been very intense. And again, why? This is not Ebola. This is not the Black Death. This is something that's a little bit worse than a flu. And, and you know, when I say that, flu can be very serious. You know, it's not a it's not a trivial illness at all. Okay, but we don't lose our minds over flu. So why have we lost our minds over COVID? Okay, so why, why have governments everywhere been insistent in the messaging that we need to be very afraid? We need to take all sorts of extraordinary measures, things we've never, ever done before, you know, why have we made everybody afraid of air and other people? I don't get it. It's way too much. It's a, it's a, it, it's a grotesque overreaction, completely grotesque. Um, there are so many questions. I can't even, if I tried to go through all of the ones on the list, I'd be here for the next two or three hours talking about them. Um, it's it's really difficult to understand things like the 28 day death recording uh, lunacy is all I can describe it as. We're in the middle of some pandemic. We're told this pandemic is deadly. We're told it's unprecedented. We're told it's some catastrophic event. You've seen everybody talking in these terms, especially at the start. And 
what did we do? Well, instead of collecting accurate statistics, we completely redefined uh, death, you know, uh, death registration anyway. We completely defined death registration so that anybody who'd had a positive test within 28 days and who died for whatever reason was listed as a COVID death. I am staggered by this, literally staggered by this. If you're in the middle of an unfolding, unprecedented emergency, the last thing you need is crappy data. You need the best data you can possibly have. We're able to spend billions of pounds on something that was obviously useless, the test and trace system, for example. Um, just think about it. We're effectively testing and tracing for something that has the same kind of um, outbreak patterns as a cold. Okay. Think about the testing and tracing for a cold. It ain't going to work. But you're able to spend billions of pounds on this, but you're not able to invest in proper collection of data. Again, doesn't make sense. Really doesn't make sense. Uh, so many things, so many things. And this is why I have um, serious trouble. I have serious trouble putting all of this together. I mean, either our governments are just, um, I don't know. I mean, can they possibly be this incompetent? Is, is this a legitimate explanation? Did they just panic? I mean, maybe they just kind of got so deranged that they could see no other option here. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, they certainly didn't seem to be particularly fearful themselves, did they? Look at the parties. Look at the pictures taken when they when they all met for their little jollies with their buddies across the world. No masks, no social distancing. This was not a bunch of people who were terrified. But they wanted us to be terrified, and that's strange. The um, involvement of drug companies, the big pharmaceuticals, that's very, very disturbing. And I think possibly the the biggest indication of all of this is the uh, FDA in the US tried, actually tried, think about this, they tried to get a legal ruling that said they could release the data or be allowed 55 years to fully release the data on the vaccine trials. That failed, so they went back and and with a modified plan, which would have meant um, it would take 75 years to release the data. It was, uh, yes, but think about their initial thing. Here you are, you're, a, you're a, an agency trying to do the best for public health, 
a vaccine manufacturer who should be independent and unconnected to you, okay, has done some trials. You have a whole bunch of data surrounding those trials and you want 55 years to release that data. How is that in the public interest? How could that possibly be in the public interest that this data is hidden for that long? So the the FDA, and I, I must admit, I don't know, I'm from the UK, I don't know the ins and outs of how the FDA works, but it's, a, it's an institution that is meant to promote and preserve and protect and all the rest of it, public health. It's not meant to protect pharmaceutical industries. It's meant to protect you, the people. 55 years. Still can't get my head around it. Again, there are just too many things to get your head around, aren't there? I've not even touched on the science or the data here properly. These things are staring at us in the face. The huge, big, flashing neon signs going off all over the place. And yet people are still following the lockdown and masking and, um, oh, my God, we're all going to die. I don't know. One of, one of the favorite movies when my kids were growing up was uh, The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. And uh, lots of fun. Thoroughly recommend it if you haven't seen it. But, you know, the, the, the sort of COVID followers, the, the people, you know, the ones, the fanatical ones, they remind me very much of the mummy's followers, you know, sort of shuffling along in a big block going, Imhotep, Imhotep. That's really what it reminds me of. That's what it seems to be. It's really quite bizarre and quite worrying. Um, but on the plus side, maybe I've got all of this wrong. Maybe it's my own perspective that's completely buggered up and I'm just missing stuff. I don't think so. But come on, it's too much. There's too much. Something's not right here. Something's not right. I can't tell you exactly what's not right. And I could speculate and we could go down all sorts of rabbit holes and find all sorts of rabbit droppings, I guess. Um, But something's not right here. Hope you've enjoyed that. It's a bit of an experiment. It's, a, it's an experimental intervention, and I haven't done a cost-benefit analysis for it. So I do hope nobody has been harmed in the in the in the making of this recording. All the best. Take care, everyone.